<laughs> you don't have to wait a minute. Welcome, my friend. <laughs> I forgot the poster. Hold on. This is the stigmata. Seemingly never saw the kind of end. This is V for victory. V one oh one ten one ten victory one ten. I am your host, Eugene S. Robinson, and sung in. Oh, got a message from, from the B man. Bob Riley from Stigmata. The record is called Calling of the Just. This song, as always, is 2007. Intro, all of nothing. Still available from Revelation Records in Huntington Beach, California, where they shoot their death in a nightclub and beat your car with a hammer. Hit your car with a hammer. But we'll let Bob sing us in as he has for the past 13 years. Listen well. Did he well? It's the anthem for the show for a reason. Well, I could not see so clear, but I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back in full, always nothing. All right, my friends. Uh, let me briefly explain the confusion. Uh, thank you for Mr. V.O. Mr. V.O. Real. He let me know via text. He goes, yo, bro, you put it on the wrong channel. I was like, oh, my God, I did that again. Ah, yeah, that is a B, man. Um, so what happened is I... Uh, I got like four or five different accounts on uh, on Gmail, and the YouTube Studio ties into Gmail. So I accidentally had it. He said, "Hey man, I, I see your message, but it's got." So I had to delete the other the fake V10 and put the real V10 coming from the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper channel versus the other non-aligned uh, email uh, things that I might have where people do not desire to be publicly socially connected to a man what's like me. Anyway, this is V110, April 19th, 
Glad to make your acquaintance. This is the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper. The commercial's at the top of the hour. Usually I say this. I say you don't have to give anything, but if you do, patreon.com slash the stomper or stomperville. I can never remember. I should know this. Or go straight to pinko, P-I-N-K-O, 95014 at yahoo.com if you want to donate for PayPal. All you all listening have all done a fabulous job. But today, in uh, in a rare display of selflessness, um, we're going to have a bidding a bidding uh, battle, a silent bidding battle. And I don't have a copy here myself uh, because it was not done by me. It was done by uh, the apparatchiks at uh, at uh, the Sarau Academy. And uh, let me let me tell you, it is. 10 copies and 10 copies only. Can you see this? Of Eugene S. Robinson's uh, Guide to Gym Etiquette. And uh, it's 33 pages, full color. And uh, the text is, uh, strangely enough, curiously enough, drawn from the wit and witticisms of Leopoldo Sarau, Brazilian national champ, and Luda Livre in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And... Uh, um, as well as uh, my main and primary coach for the past, oh, close to 10 years. Uh, um, so pretty much what they did was to uh, start the tape recorder and uh, ask uh, Leo to work with kind of the things that I've showed him, you know, close, up close, but over the, over the years. So the money raised from this, and I put, this time I remember to put the, the URL, um, the URL in the in the up in the show notes. Um, you starts at forty dollars. Uh, these guys, much like the old man jujitsu shirts uh, and the badass motherfucker shirts, all of the things that we offer are one and one time only. Never again. It's not like one of those fake things like limited edition. And the next year you see those pricks. It's limited edition again. Nah, nah. Like with the Oxbow thin black book, one time we tell you got that's it. Because why? Because I have a garage full of, of failed fantasy wish fulfillment. Oh, man, people are going to buy 5,000 of this fight CD. Uh, yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> so now we do small runs, small. And this was done by uh, Mr. Uh, Marty G, the guy who I do the JJB with. And uh, it was his idea because he's an altruist and a humanitarian, kind of like me. And so he came up with the idea to raise money for the academy so that when this lockdown lifts, we got a place to do jujitsu versus just going to bars and starting fights with guys what look like they can fight. So anyway, that's the end of the commercials. Um, you can make your bids during this show. Um, you can make your bids. This is to give you guys an edge. Uh, uh, make your bids during the show. The starting price for the bid for the book is $40. The ten, top 10 books go to the top 10 bids. Uh, ha have at it. Info at SarauAcademy.com is where to make your bid. It completely sidesteps me. And if nobody bids, I will just take all of the uh, uh, all of all of what I collect for this show in April and donate it to uh, uh, Sarau. So, uh, um, I mean, you know, you might have people in your life that you, you, you um, that are service providers of some kind that you figure you can't live without. Sarau is one of mine. I give money to some of my tattoo guys as well, but uh, they all live in swank places. So I can, I can, uh, I can, I can uh, scoop by that. 
So anyway, so now that we're done with the commercials and we can get into the meat of the show, uh, hold on a second, let me get some technology happening here. Um, I want to talk about uh, um, what 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 we're what we're enduring now. And I remember having a friend. Well, I've had a couple of friends, and, and these were cats who hadn't discovered what I call their art. Right? Let me fix this. I, they hadn't discovered what what um, I call their art. And by art, I mean like sin qua non, um, artful device, or here. Uh, Uh, um, I, I guess what I mean, I mean by that is, is that which is essential and defines you as you, right? Um, now there are lots of things that we do, uh, like uh, pulling from the Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, one man likes to golf, one man likes to bowl. You play shoe, you play croquet. You know, whatever. We have things that we we like to do. Um, the first thing that I that I did in my life that was character defining. I mean, I always, I always imagined, uh, I, I always wanted to be a fighter, and always fought. But it, it was outside of a cousin, my cousin Debbie, Debbie Brown, Deborah Brown. Um, outside of you know her beating me up, she's about four years older than me. So when I was five, she was nine, and said, "This is something you need to know how to do." So outside of her, uh, you know, beating my head, my head in, which I love, incidentally, and I felt like I was learning something. It wasn't organized. The first thing that I could do, um, actually, it came at the same time as I began writing, and it was lifting weights. I ordered through the mail. So, what do you want for your birthday? I want a weight set. So that's what I got. I got for my ninth birthday. I got a weight set, and with the weight set came directions. I learned how to read. I started writing. I just started. I mean, I started reading like at six, I think, five, five or six and started writing at, at seven. So got the weight set at nine. So these things happen at around the same time. And, but, but however, lifting weights was the first thing in which I could set, see objective standards as established by the outside world, which is, I think is a very definitional objective, but standards set by the, the outside world uh, um, that I could then begin calibrating and measuring myself Arnold lifts 315 pounds for 10 reps, I'm doing 40 pounds for five reps, you, you know, as a kid. I, this is, you know, I could, I could, I could measure this stuff, and I could chart some sort of progress because each month I could have a little chart and I could write and I could, I could see, I could see that application of will and hard work and effort were something that you could fundamentally use to change who it was physically that you that you were. And by the time I hit high school. Um, my life was changed again by my best friend and one of my best friends in high school, uh, a guy named Pishko. He was Polish. And uh, he said, you lift weights? I go, yeah, I lift weights. He goes, I go, you lift weights? He goes, yeah, I lift weights. And he goes, hit me with a double bye. And so I hit him with a double bicep and he started laughing. I go, what are you laughing about? He goes, you got no muscle separation. I go, well, you know, it's because I'm lifting like a weightlifter. He goes, yeah. And he reaches in his bag. And he pulls out uh, uh, a muscle, uh, a muscle and fitness, Joe Weider's muscle mag. And he goes, and he goes, look at this, baby. And then and he hits it, and he's got like the striations of the forearm and the whole bit. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. So we start, we start competing with each other. I start buying muscle mags. I go to the first night of the champions at the Beacon Theater. 
I start, I start uh, buying magazines. I'm buying pituitary gland supplements. Um, I'm, I'm taking everything. I'm taking so much shit that I'm dizzy half the time. I go from uh, 140 pounds to by the time I got out of high school, I was probably 170 pounds, and I was competing in New York Tim, New York Gym Association teenage. It's a teenage gym association. I was competing in bodybuilding shows. My identity was, was I showed up at Stanford. They lost my luggage. First thing I did, I went to the gym. All I had was sweatpants and a belt and shoes. I had no shirt. So I was a fuck it. I had a dress shirt. So I wore the dress shirt, worked out, came back. This was a major, a major identifier. If you had, ta- if you had taken this away, I wouldn't have known what to do with myself. I had emblazoned on my wall a poster that said, get big and strong. Girls would come over and they would have laugh and go, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, what out? You know, it was much like Sam Fussell in that book, Muscle. I was all in. Or if you read Harry Cruz, The Gypsy's Curse, except I could walk on two legs. And then something happened. The beginning of sophomore year, I played rugby because it was a varsity sport, the only varsity sport that they let you work out in the varsity weight room, which was a vastly superior weight room to just a regular student weight room. This is when Stanford was still fucked up. So I'm playing rugby and I'm, uh, I break a deadlift record at Stanford, which made the uh, uh, strength coach, Steve Schultz, I think it was his name at the time, very angry. He didn't like that a rugby player had done this. Um, and I was using a, a, a machine, a leg press machine. And for the first time in my life, Fucked up my back, like really, so like had to crawl off the machine. You know, tingling in my toes, tingling in my legs. It was terrible. How did I deal with it back then? As a court, at the also simultaneously got two concussions from uh, from rugby. I just stopped everything. I go fuck it. You know, everything has its season. You know, and like the thing in the Bible says, when I did, when I was a youth, I did the things of a youth. And now that I'm a man, I do the things of a man. I leave those things behind. Stop lifting weights. Completely. And was plunged into the deepest depression that I've ever had in my entire life. The deepest. How deep, Eugene? So deep that sitting around with a shotgun in my mouth was a good afternoon. Now I told a friend of that, and he said he 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 did a pretty a pretty fairly good imitation of me. Go kill myself. I'm too handsome to kill myself. You kill yourself. Well, maybe he was right. Maybe it was for dramatic impact. Still, I know some people who don't do that. It's not what you do if you really. It's just dramatic impact, and it's if you're alone, you know. I've always been too anal retentive for suicide because I couldn't get my head around who's going to clean this up. I'm just gonna clean this shit up, but I don't want to. So suddenly, I was in a position where I had to had to recast and redefine how the world saw me, how I saw myself, how I understood myself, the parameters of this this person. Um, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You, you you are are lost, and also I lived in a place called uh, Manzanar. It's a trailer, actual trailer park on Stanford campus. Go, oh, Stanford, rich kid. Yeah. People used to fall through the floors of these trails. They would have to call the cops in the fire department to get them to come and yank the kids out because they were decrepit at the time. Sin. 
lived in one of those. So nobody wants to, you know, this was nobody wants to come visit you there. So it was absolute, absolute solitude. Scared everybody else out of the trailer. Uh, uh, Guerra, my roommate, who tried to sneak my ex girlfriend from 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 behind my back in front of my face. And it was just a dark, heated hole of nothing. And unlike these people who like will spend years trying to dance through the pain, I dug deep, 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 embraced it, rolled around in it. And something happened. Something ha I was missing stairs too, so I know it's not it was just not mental. I couldn't walk, I had to be concentrate very hard to get upstairs because of the, the concussion from the rugby. Hmm. I hear it. second wave hits China. Country goes back into lockdown. <laughs> you motherfuckers on beaches in Florida should think about that. Anyway, uh, come springtime, come springtime, um, I start to put together a tour for Whipping Boy, my hardcore band. And I start to pull myself out of the hole. And it was a combination of a couple of things. It was all the people standing up at the rim of the hole uh, uh, who, who had made, for me a, made of me a figure of fun. Ex-girlfriends who dumped me, who told other friends of mine, oh, Eugene is so depressing these days. I'm sure it helped you dumping me. And I, and, oh, good friends telling me things like, I don't know, Eugene, it's something about you that just makes me want to see you fail. I, parents had stopped talking to me. My mother had stopped talking to me. She was in shock. She was going through a difficult divorce of hers at, her, hers at the time and uh, whatever. That's, I'm not relitigating that. Put together Whipping Boy's first tour go through go through back east and actually crawling out of the hole getting ready to have my 20th birthday tell my dad say hey i'm going to be back in california if you want to call me and he's like uh-huh uh-huh birthday comes and goes never calls in fact i don't hear from him again until i'm like 35. if you have a 19 year old kid Something you, you would probably never do. But through it, through this crucible of the absence of the presence of anything that made life good or worth living, something started to happen. I started to frame an understanding of the self that was like Descartian. Cogito ergo son, I think therefore I am based on nothing but what was in here. Not the skeletal trappings of flesh and muscle or bone, but here. I, I, I changed my major from uh, 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 biology to nothing. I had no major at that point. Found myself taking a lot of philo uh, philosophy classes. Took a logic class to fulfill the math requirement. 
By the time the junior year rolls around, I lived in an apartment building, a little less depressed. Put out records, played shows. The people from Maximum Rock and Roll found said, hey, you should be on a Not So Quiet on the Western Front compilation, hanging out with the guys in the Dead Kennedys. Guys from Minor Threat helped put together our, our, our first tour. By senior year, I was almost there, still not lifting weights, lost consider considerable amount of weight. Through it all was the writing. And there is where I figured I found my art. You could take everything away, everything away. I had to steal food to eat. At my nader, I was eating dead grass. I had a friend come by. He's like, you're complaining about not having food? He was starving too. We got a yard full of food here. What are you talking about? I'm not, I'm not a cow. He goes, take the seed from the grass in your, in your backyard, thresh it, and you could put it in a bowl with milk. You'd be good. So if I had milk, I wouldn't eat the grass. So you don't have any milk? No. So you got a hose. Put hot water. Eat. That's what I did. The writing was continual. It was there the whole time in my back pocket. I didn't realize it. I took the shotgun out of my mouth and put the shotgun down on the floor right next to the typewriter and started writing about having the shotgun in the mouth. Started documenting this stuff so that people could know what happened after I killed myself and have an understanding of it. It wasn't just an accident. It's like one of those rom-coms when you realize it's the person who's been there the whole time writing. You could take away everything from me. It's like that Bukowski poem. I'm not saying he was any good, but it's not the small, it's not the big things that make a man lose his mind. It's the small things, the shoelace that breaks with no time left. I can't remember the rest of the poem, but he at one point says, as an editorial aside, I'm not saying the guy's any good. <laughs> I'm not saying I was any good. But standing there the whole time was this thing like, where you take away everything. Multiple girlfriends dump me, world turns as a back on you, your mother, your father, your support structure, everything that you've ever loved does not love you back. But I had the shotgun and I had the pen, use the pen. Use the pen, start to graduate, start to gra uh, graduate from college, living in a garage, paying $50 a month. When I say garage, I don't mean converted garage. I mean like a carport with a door. I, I still think about it fondly. When I graduated from eating grass with $50 a month, I was making enough money on the band I could eat. Father still not talking to me. Stepfather, who was largely my father from the age of, of when I was 6 to 18, still, we're still in touch. He was broke too because of course he's fighting with my mother over this divorce thing. So there was no help. Before my mother had stopped talking to me, she said, come back to Brooklyn College, it's a free college, that's all I can do for you. So then I decided I want to start lifting weights. Fuck it, I always liked it, something get in shape again. Start lifting, some guy, some guy who uh, I, I strongly suspected had, had fucked a girl who I considered the love of my life and didn't have that confirmed until 20 years later. <laughs> I was helping spot him, and his buddy looked at me and came over and was, no, it's okay, I, I'll spot him. The guy was benching 80 pounds, and there was a collective belief that I could not spot him 
with 80 pounds. And I started thinking that line from A Clockwork Orange about the, this is the real sad and weepy portion of our tale. So, right, all right, I don't mind because I've been in the hole before and I've seen people on the lip looking down and I've been the figure of fun, it's fine. Or like I call about Johnny Boney Joni, I say a uh, 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 punchline in, perpe in perpetuity. Got gaining weight, got a job that I found in the newspaper where I was hired by what I think were the, the two sons of, of escaped Nazis. Don't want to get into that. <laughs> they were decent men who, who had their hearts in the right place and gave me a job, even in the face of, of uh, 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 the, uh, the Japanese two thirds of the Axis power, one third of the Axis power. Japanese HR woman who did not want to hire any black people. Got the job. Because of what I could write and how I could write. Get up and wait, start going crazy. You almost get to 300 pounds. I get up to 270, 265, 270 was the heaviest I was. I'm warming up, doing 315 on the bench for reps. Close grip bench with 315. Not natural, but uh, that's already covered on, uh, you've heard me talk about it before. Still writing, still writing through the whole thing. Married, kids, house, house, writing. TV shows, movies, writing. But still in my head, like Tyson once said, like Mike Tyson once said, at one point he realized he was no longer that 10 year old kid who somebody was gonna yank the head off of his pigeons. I didn't realize that until about 10 years ago via the Sorrell Academy. There's some guy there, we're competing together. His name was Chris, Chris Moore. No, nah, it shouldn't, wait, there's light. Chris Moore and I were at a competition together and I'm like agonizing, he goes, what the hell, what's wrong with you? I said, man, I, yeah, I, th I think I'm gonna make wave, but I took this stuff, I gotta poop, maybe I should just go use the bathroom. So I'm not gonna use the bathroom. Because once you use the bathroom, it's right there. So that's what it's there for. So I don't use I hate men's rooms, man. Every time I go into a men's room, something creepy happens to me. He goes, Jesus Christ, look at you. You're talking like you're like you're this 12-year-old girl. Look at you. You're like a you're 225 pounds. You know, at the time I think I was a purple belt, jujitsu purple belt. Going, and I was like, oh, 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 oh yeah, 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 yeah. I go in the bathroom. This is like 10 years ago. That means I was 47. I had already done 11 MMA fights, amateur fights at that point. But like my first girlfriend, when she dumped me when I was 10 years old in 1972, thought I needed an explanation. And she told me, well, she didn't tell me. She screamed out the window to her girlfriend who then called my friend who called me. I said, what did she say? She said, you're boring. This friend who called me, it was a good friend. We just got back in touch with Facebook. His sister died two days ago from COVID-19 in New York. And I was like, well, she was old. Er. And I remember she was only three years older than me. So she's dead. She wasn't overweight. Um, and as far as I know, had no health issues, didn't have diabetes or hypertension, but dead.
So, um, so, um, um, so I got sidetracked with 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 the, with the COVID thing. So Chris Moore got me back on track. Realizing that 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 over the course since the back injury to now that I had created the now there was a bump in there I didn't talk about and I've talked about it in some of the pieces I've written where at the age of thirty five my father finally finds his way his way back to me so I'm going to double back a little bit on that my now my ex wife then almost my my soon to be wife decides she'll resolve some deep seated what she figures are emotional problems somehow that it shouldn't be this. He calls me at work and he's being cute on the phone. Say, hey, you know who this is? No. Come on, I take a guess. So listen, I'm at work, I'm really busy. I'm gonna hang up the phone. Uh, I don't have time for games. You know, cause I put, yeah, whatever. He goes, it's your, and I could tell he, he didn't know what to say. It's your father, should ask like the guy Larry Siegel on SCTV. Mr. Larry, Mr. Larry, Mr. Siegel, Mr. Larry, you don't know, you know why you don't know what to call me? Dad, you didn't know what this is. This is this is your father, <laughs> and I go, <laughs> ah, right, like 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 that guy who was glad to see you, but he doesn't like you, and I was like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? So he decides that he's gonna come out and see me, and uh, we go to the gym. He says, well, I said, well, he's going to hang out. Getting my, we're going to talk about things. And uh, he says, uh, you know, that he, he had figured that I dropped out of school and I was defrauding him out of $80 a month so I could pursue some stupid punk rock dream. I go, well, I'm still in the band. And he goes, yeah, but you didn't even invite me to your graduation. I go, why would I have done that? What did you contribute toward that end? And he goes, okay, okay. I drop it. Fine. We go to the gym. I, <laughs> it was a great moment. I put on 315, and he goes, I can't spot you up this. And I, I'm laid down on the bench. I look up at him and go, just help me lift it off the rack. So we lift it off the rack, and I'm looking at him, and I start going down for the close grip benches. I do 10, put it back in the rack. <laughs> I want to send a message. He goes back. He leaves. I send him an invitation to the wedding that I'm about to have. Yeah. Now, his wife's name is Carol, but there are any number of ways you could spell Carol. C-A-R-O-L, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, C-A-R-O-L-E. I don't remember it. I'm busy addressing invitations. I'm not going to go through. So I say his name, uh, uh, plus guest uh, or plus one or something like that. And wife or something like that. Mr. and Mrs. something like that. My sister calls me and said, well, our, fa our father's enraged. And I was like, oh, really? About what? You didn't put Carol's name on the invitation. I said, I didn't know how to spell it. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. She goes, well, they're upset. They feel like you slighted them. I go, huh. So uh, right now, I said, you know, he can bring, he can bring, he can bring her. That was an idea. She goes, you invite people, you bring luggage. Huh. Oh, so if you're ready to apologize to him, I was like, 
Do you know how many lifetimes in hell it would take before that's gonna happen? That's never gonna fucking happen. Ever. And that's it. Never heard from him again. Uh-huh. Never. So um, that, 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 that was an aside that, you know, so, and this ties in somehow to the title because he's a professor. And I went to one of his classes once and he talked about, this is before he stopped talking to me, about the philosophical difference between desolation and isolation. And here I sit with, in a neighborhood where people are losing their fucking minds because they can't leave the house. I lose my mind because I have to leave the house. They are losing their minds because they can't leave the house, technically. And like the scene from Taxi Driver where Easy Andy lays all the guns on the bed and he waves his hands over them. Scorsese does that twice in that movie with the bottom, with the uh, Alka-Seltzer in the glass and all the guns on the bed. He considers it. And I think of that line, there's no reality to any of this. I don't care about any of this shit. And I'm shocked that other people do because what happened? Because I realized, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, no. You know, the, 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 the one meeting at the age of 35 was enough because you know what happened between 35 and now? I became a father. And I thought, looking at my kids, I thought, if anybody were to feel a tenth about me, the way I feel about these little kids, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And then I turned a, a gimlet eye back to that. Yeah. And people go, oh, you feel so much better if you just let go of this anger. You think this is an ABC after school special? It's not. Yeah, exactly. Once you're a father, all that shit, to me, that's it's old memory stuff, garbage. So, um, so uh, people, people around here are, are, are just doing crazy stuff. They're like, go hang out in park a lot. Um, no, I didn't ask him. I asked, I found my, my father's, my father's mother, my grandmother. And went into that, and, and yeah, actually, you make a good point, Mr. Shore. He he was the one who told me about my my his father, his father's uh, mob affiliation connection, and that, that's how I found out I'm descended from criminals, which shouldn't have been a surprise to me at all. Uh, but organized criminals, <laughs> whatever whatever that means. So people around here they're they're losing their minds, and. Um, and there's a, a page about owners, a homeowners group, like neighborhood thing. And I tell you, and I tell you, and this ties into the weightlifting in a very significant way. At one point, when I was when I was deep into the performance enhancing stuff, and I lift super heavy weight, and I started to I started to do this thing where I thought, you know, I'm going to burst a blood vessel when I'm doing real heavy squats or deadlifts. So I started getting into breath control. Right, and which is something I've been paying attention to for meditation, for singing, breath control, for for jujitsu, for fighting. It's a significant issue. Breath control, and one of the best ways to start to control my breath, like you know, before I'm about to do a squat, close my eyes, and then I start closing my eyes through the um, 
<laughs> through the through the through the exercise. And then when I start closing my eyes through the exercise, something really interesting happened. And what happened is I became disconnected from the body. The body was completely secondary. And once the body was unhinged from the mind, it could do like a machine, anything I really had set out to do, right? You push a wheel down the hill. I don't have to apply a lot of thought to get that wheel to roll down the hill. It rolls down the hill. The weight comes up. But what started to happen is inside my head, now we're going back to the consciousness soup of a few shows ago. Inside my head, the consciousness that is in, in I won't wear, I won't remember what I wore last week and I won't remember what I wear next week, a, a week from then. The skin, the clothing is the same thing. It is the same thing. It's free, it's free floating. It, it is, it, it is a it's significant now because this skin is a skin of the man that my kids call dad that my grandson calls grandpa, that my wife calls Eugene. This skin is significant. The, you know, the formation of, 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 you know, the biological aspect of who it is that is Eugene Robinson is significant. But who am I when I close my eyes? Who are you when you close your eyes? And that is what's neglected. Not your brain, your mind. So I started doing all of my weightlifting insofar as I could be safe doing it with my eyes closed. And I started to feel something happening. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, the body was, was plenty, but I started to feel that, that this consciousness, the free-floating consciousness that is separate actually from, I think, the body that's inhabiting this space in this time was getting powerful and it, it began to it be it, 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 it's a feedback loop where where you have you ever dealt with really powerful people who you, you've not known were powerful under normal circumstances you look this little fat roundy guy and then and then you figure out but there's something different about it however you get there Usually it is by the under the auspices or, or using or using the tool of, of your art that gets you there. The writing was significant because you could lock me in a jail cell. You could take away everything from me. You could put me back in that garage or in, in that trailer park with a with the holes in the floor. And as long as I got like a burnt piece of charcoal or a pencil and can document what's about to happen. I can work on muscling up the consciousness. Like that guy, I, one of you wanted me to find the Alfred Hitchcock story with the guy who made the symbol his whole life. No matter, he just sat around and he made the symbol because he was convinced that when he died, his consciousness would make a journey somewhere else. And he wanted on the outside that it wasn't geographically bound, uh, that it was geographically bound, that if one of his friends were to happen, you see, they would know that it was him talking from the beyond. And of course, the punchline of the story is that they're sitting out in the garden, a favorite spot where their friend likes to sit, and uh, and they're watching a slug make that symbol. <laughs> you know, Alfred Hitchcock used to do Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and they were short story collections. And so I have like about 10 of them. I have to go through each one to find the story. It's up there with one I've talked about for all, for all the rude people which is another fantastic, life-changing one. 
and they weren't written by Alfred Hitchcock. He just presented it. So, 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 so here I am with, you know, this kind of realization that, 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 that this thing inside courtesy of Chris Moore was not, I needed to, I needed, I needed to understand what had happened and who it is, uh, uh, who it is that I was. Had to, had to. And then when I, and then it came at a perfect time for me to be able to switch from spending all of my time. I mean, literally, I used to work out six hours a day. I get home from work and work out until midnight. I mean, not and not every day, three days a week, four days a week, maybe. Switch over to jujitsu, which I, I do six days a week when it's not lockdown time. And, and, you know, people, I hear people say, ah, I can't make it to the gym, and this interferes, and this is that, and this is this. And, and, I, and I have to say, honest to God, you know, once you get into that place of solitary, uh, I, I haven't even come up with, with an acronym for it or a word for it, this kind of solitary, solitarily uh, um, augmented muscular consciousness, consciousness space, I come up with something. Something more elegant than that. There's nothing that they can take from you. Nothing. In a very crude sense, my rejoinder is always, what are you going to do? You're going to beat me up? You're going to not be nice to me? Those of you who, who had terrible upbringings, you know a lot of what I'm talking about is honest to God truth. Once you've had everything, once you've been abandoned by everyone, there's nothing that anybody can do to you. And when you talk about Meister Eckhart in his commentaries on the book of John, he talks about two things. He talks about bolitio, I think that's the way it's spelled, bolitio and ebolitio. And these are, have to do with the, the inner, the inner, um, it's like looking at a, a, a geyser of oil, but this in, a flow of your inner essence. And he says to, to be, when he, they talk about virginity in the Bible, they talk about it in a very interesting way. He goes, in order to actually be the most perfect servant of God, the, the talk of, of virginity has nothing to do with fucking. Eckhart says, it has to be, you have to be bereft. You have to be absent. Nature abhors a vacuum. You have to be open and embracing and open and perfectly absent anything else that you're holding on to. Yeah. 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 There's a guy who I interviewed who's an MMA fighter whose family took him to the beach when he was five years old and he played all day and fell asleep on the beach. And when he woke up, they were gone. I talked about him, I interviewed him on an old knuckle up. That shit still kills me. It's like a Hansel and Gretel story come to life. What do you think they could take away from that guy now? What do you think any person could do to that guy that wasn't worse than that? 
So, um, so um, he talks about Belitio and uh, Abelitio. No, not <laughs> not Ironjod. <laughs> Eckhart <laughs> living the time of Ironjod. <laughs> he uh, he uh, he lived in the he, John the Baptist. That that John. Um, this this flowing out and, and and so everything is gone. Any means that you could understand. Oh, you you this your understanding of your body as a as a weapon, a crutch. Fuck you. Your back is fucked. You don't live. You got a concussion. Your mind, but but through it all was this 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 spark. Nurtured in no small part, of course, in my case. By 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 a by a by a rage. And through my life, through my life, I've had people who have who have feel it and they see it as a personal challenge. They can't stop it. They can't help themselves and they can't stop themselves. And they feel they must do battle. In the same way that somebody sees a wild horse and they want to break that horse. There are tons of other horses around, but that horse is the one they want. There's a great line from some song that I, I, I think it was a Black Flag song where they go, I won't take and I won't break. Now, in Ron's case, there's this whole kind of rigidity and inflexibility that, you know, I'll bend. I'll bend, I'll accommodate. I think about the movie Mephisto a lot. Nazis rolling the town, I gotta make some accommodations. Except you know when you make accommodations with Nazis, classic inch turns into a yard. Classic. That's why you can't negotiate with terrorists. So, they say stay inside, I'm sad I can jujitsu. I'm sad I can only see my kids on uh, on, on Zoom hangouts. And I'm not entirely sure that this is all on the on the up and up. In fact, if I wanted to install uh, robotic people finders in the streets and realize I couldn't do that under normal circumstances with fake PG&E trucks and, and, and fake utility trucks and and fake road crews, um, come and see. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen. Come and see. It's a great movie. I don't think I could be more down on Nazis. I don't think that I could see anything that would make me less, would make me more down on Nazis than I already presently am, up to and including uh, 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 in-laws who were torn to bits by them when they just decided, fuck it, let's roll into Poland. Hey, there's a guy, set the dog on him. Hey, I wonder what this does. Get that small girl, let's inject her with it. Oh, what a wonderful day to be married. Oh, look, planes with swastikas on them. What's that about? <laughs> it's not an abstraction in Poland, not in the slightest. So, a, uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, so, 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 I'm not entirely sure that this is not some kayfabe in order to. You know, operate conditioning and to put things in place. I'm not. I, I tell you one thing that I'm quite sure of: that the government in general 
takes from money to be not in circulation, which is why they tax us, and which is why they create incentives. And the money doesn't do any good if you got it in, in a Patriot safe buried in your backyard, maybe maybe under your pond. No, I'm kidding. There's no way if I really buried it there, I would tell you that. Um, no, they want you to keep it working because your money working keeps America working. They want the money to flow. But if you had four or five billion dollars right now, the world is more of your marketplace than it ever was before. Because people want liquidity. They want actual cash. And they'll, you know, I could buy what could what could I buy now that I couldn't buy before? It's like Colin Quinn when he talks about the Dutch showing up and talking to the Indians in New York. Hey, I'll give you this. I'll, I'll give you uh, $40 for this island. No, it's not for sale. Hmm, great. I'll give you 30 I guess maybe you don't hear so good. I said it's not, it's not for sale. Great. Uh-huh. 20 And that's when they noticed the warships for the first time. So, you know what? I got it. I see where this is going. Take it for the 20 I'll take it for the 20 Boom. I'm not entirely sure that this is not some variation of, you know what, I'm going to squeeze you. You're going to have to dig down deep into your savings. You're going to have to sell me all of what you have. Cheap, cheap, cheap. And when you, when you, when you, let, when you go deeper in the credit card debt, when, <laughs> this is that line from, from Goodfellas, when you go deeper in the credit card debt, when you've leveraged and you borrowed every last nickel you spent, I'm going to burn it all. <laughs> Come on. I mean, you know, I, I can tell people if you have the money, you should go buy stuff. And people on our level, the, about the only thing, yeah, I haven't left the house in three days. About the only thing, about the only thing that, that you can swing that's within a price range that's not going to have you fucked up, real estate. Get together with two or three people, get some real estate, put that shit together. I don't try to squeeze you. I don't try to squeeze you. But like my mother once told me, get the best house in the worst neighborhood you can find. Or alternatively, if you don't have a lot of money, get the worst house in the worst neighborhood you can find and make friends with guys who can fix shit up. I'm not entirely sure that I want to believe what's on this side of the curtain. And that's fine. It doesn't change the fact, it doesn't change the point that what's inside here should be plenty to get you through. If you haven't discovered your art, I had a friend, he was like, actually, it was the same guy who said, uh, something about you, you makes me want to see you fail. He hadn't found his art, which is why it, in that small measure, in that small period of time, he was sort of hateful. He tried everything. Figure drawing. And then he finally found his art. How, how strong, and it, and it was not art that anybody would have understood it was quantum mechanics. It was not art that anybody would have understood in any traditional way. You know, wife says, I want to leave. You know, uh, you know, the, 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 okay, go. Leave, leave him in a room. He's got, got his research on the nature of quantum mechanics and, 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 and you know, Einsteinian phys physics. Guy's fine. Never look back. Doesn't give a shit. Lost a second wife. Boom. Don't care. Could lock him in a jail cell. Give him a book. He's fine. Another guy we used to work, same thing. Was kind of peripatetic. Wandered. Didn't really 
ended up getting went was a Navy SEAL, and then went to Yale. This kid never really get his groove on. Never find. Then he finally did it. Decided I like commerce, but I like commerce with a twist. Last I know, the guy's traveling all over the world doing some stuff. So you got to find your art. And it's not like it's like, oh, well, shit, I'm 50. What could it be? I'm too late. Nah, 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 nah. That's unacceptable. I talked to some guy, and the guy's giving me, like, really garbagey answers. And I said, nah, man, you never admit to anybody else. He goes, I'm obsessed with private eyes. And I wanted to laugh, but I could tell. There was no joke. This guy was seriously obsessed with private eyes. And he goes, I'd like to be a private and investigate them. My research subject, people. And somebody would pay me for this. And I said, man, you, you should actually do it. Because somebody puts that on their tax on their tax report. Somebody does it. If you got a head for it, you should do it. If you're a student of human nature, that should be a dream for you. You know? I mean, it would be depressing to me. People are super predictable. And like that record said, they're such easy prey. So, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, I know some people, you have two types of people, right? I would always rather write you than, this is why when I when I give on a Patreon as a gift, a phone call, and, I, you know, I've, I've called a bunch of you guys, and we've had a pretty good talks, pretty comfortable. But it, it, it actually, I would always rather write than, than, than talk live. <laughs> They're talking on the phone is 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 tough for me. Uh, not not miserable. I I enjoy it um, because I'm getting more information in a different way than I might get from writing. But I'm perfectly happy with that burnt piece of charcoal or a pencil or a pen, piece of paper or a wall or something to scribble on. I could be that way forever. Yep. And one thing that Anton Lavey said to me, he said something about he said. Uh, he said, uh, um, you know, he said he thought that the phenotypes, he was really big on that, you know. Um, he, and he talked about, he said, you know, there's some people who like cows and some people like sheep and some people like, of course, he fashioned himself a wolf. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> the more I find out about dude in his absence, the less I think that, you know, you might want to be a wolf, but uh, it's, it's, there's something else involved. So, your elemental nature, the, the you that got developed when you close your eyes. That's the only key to getting out of this. The examined life. These cats running outside right now playing rugby about 200 yards from where I'm sitting right now, playing fucking rugby. They're all Polynesian, Pacific Islander cats, huge dudes. But they go home to older parents and grandparents who are also huge. The death rate in this neighbor in this neighborhood of eighteen thousand people in two weeks it'll be something to talk about. I got a pregnant wife in the house. I can't be gallivanting about outside anyway. So I miss jujitsu, miss my kids, but it's a smart choice. You take away my pen, what's left? Well, what I got here, like Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, that metal door closes, cross my legs, sit down on the floor, and wait for the inevitability of the future. 
even if that future is a future with me not in it. But I'm not going to panic because there's no reality to any of this. You can't take away anything from me or you for that matter. We can't take away things that are not given away. And I'm giving away nothing. That's it. Yep, yep. Except my friend's sister wasn't, wasn't obese. She wasn't heavy. I mean, she may have had health complications, but they weren't connected to high blood pressure. They weren't connected to, but you know. Anyway, so I don't know if during the show you've been going to info at sarawacademy.com. There are only 10 books. That means only 10 of you got a bid. Um, later on, I think Sarau said he was going to open it up to uh, uh, associated jiu-jitsu people back in Brazil and so on. Um, 10, and we're not doing any more. <laughs> the, book is worth, the book is worthwhile. If you've seen this show, I think I may have even shared some of it with you on the show. But the point is not even whether – the point is that you, that you, you helped Sarau Academy which is what I'm doing as well. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Mr. P right there. Buying people is going to go to a car. Now, it's not a buy. You got a bid. We only got 10. We're not filling up a whole garage. But I don't know. Online shop. I don't think he's got an online shop. I think you you PayPal, you bid, and uh, by the end of tonight, Leo will take the top 10 and mail him books. Uh, you know, but I, I, put, I took myself out of the process because I can't, you know, because I'm not going to the fucking post office. <laughs> I'm not serious, honest to God. Not now, bro. See those lines of people <laughs> with the mask? Hey, fuck, get the fuck away from me. There's nothing I need to put in the mail right now. I'm Tommy, I'm still going to send you a shirt. <laughs> but, you know, bro, I, you got to wait, wait a bit on that. So that's the show. That's it. 60 minutes on a Sunday that I hope makes the rest of your week better. Tuesday night, 8 o'clock for half an hour, if the shoes fit. Simple. 90 minutes of me online. Still haven't figured out how to do the uh, JJB, the Jiu-Jitsu breakdown on a split screen. Maybe Ecamm, maybe Hangouts, maybe YouTube Studio. Haven't figured out how to do it. I haven't figured out how to do it. Sorry. But anyway, the JJB benefits better from being up close and personal. We're a few weeks away from that yet. I'm running. I don't know if you can see my face is thinned out, dropping muscle mass maybe. My neck is I'm going away. I figure at least I go back to jiu-jitsu. I have some cardio. No muscle, no technique, but I got the cardio. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you can stand it, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. We got the, uh, uh, if the shoes fit. Uh, and other than that, let's hope we make it to next Sunday in fine feto. <laughs> Connor one. <laughs> uh, anyway, 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 yeah, right. Whatever your art is, whatever. And sometimes, let me tell you, let, uh, let me finish. I'm going to go a little bit over. Let me tell you, sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes somebody else to see what that is. You know, 
It really does. It really takes up. Like my my my. He told me at one point he saw me do something on stage. He goes, "You should do that. You should do more of that." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I I, I like the stages well enough. You know, you know my stuff with Oxbow and the different bands and the music and the act and the TV and the movies. That's fine. That's fine. I like doing that stuff." But it wasn't until a guy named Bill Rivers, who I dedicated uh, a, my novel, A Long Slow Screw, to, um, uh, he was the first one to say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, yeah, after class. He goes, I don't know what you think about thinking about doing with your life, but whatever you do, you should think about working at magazines. You're really good. Only other professor who said that to me was a linguistics professor. And he did it on the basis of a paper I wrote on how skateboarders and surfers speak. Because I don't know what you're thinking, but you might consider being a, becoming a linguist. And I was like, well, how much do linguists make? <laughs> That's why it's not really the point. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. stop talking to that guy. <laughs> stop talking to that guy. I went to Bill Rivers and, you know, he said, you should work at magazines. I go, do you know people at magazines? He goes, I do. I'll intro that was it. It took somebody else to see it. I was like a senior. Did it had no idea I was interviewing even after I graduated, I was interviewing at insurance companies. Had no idea how this thing worked. Which is strange given that my father, who abandoned me, is a professor. And my mother is, you know, a master's degree holding sociologist who used to work as a as a guidance counselor at Brooklyn College. I you know, I how is it that I didn't know? And that my stepfather was a journalist. <laughs> so I, I let him find his own way, and I did. But Bill Rivers is cat. Sometimes it's somebody else. That guy who said he was gonna, who was gonna, uh, he actually hasn't come through, but said that you know, encouraging him to paint was one of the best things that anybody had ever, ever done for me. The guy was gonna buy me a new computer. Whatever. There's, there's, who knows? He's got, he's got, oh, yeah, Chomsky. Yeah, Chomsky, I guess. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I thought the military, when I did, I did go down that option as well. And it was the Marines. You know, uh, but I couldn't, I knew I couldn't do music and the Marines. And music was so happening right then. There's no way. There's no, I would rather, I was living in the van for a reason. I'd rather do this than to have to leave behind the music. It was that exciting. Yeah, John McWhorter, I know. Anyway, that's the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, and someday, someday I'll explain. Some of you know, some of you know, and I don't want you to mention it here. I don't want you to tip your hand about what I'm going to say right now. Just keep it to yourself. But some of you know, there was an expression about paying the cost to be the boss, about actually how much I'm, I'm really willing to sacrifice, to give away, to do this show. Some of you might have a sense of that. And for those of you who do, you don't have to tell anybody else. Just appreciate the fact that I appreciate that you know this. Because you know how much your show means to me. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, look what you made me do! <laughs> Keep your hands up your face. <laughs>